Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. sound absolutely terrible right i know that the reason <laughs> there's no music is we've just been watching the liverpool game it's monday we're trying to record but i want it on in the background but they just scored a fourth goal so we stopped it but you uh, left your musical instrument upstairs and you <laughs> didn't want to get it hey that's fine uh this is uh the game against uh, maryland eastern shore so last time we finished jj we mentioned that we'd just seen the navy game we mentioned that we drove to ocean city um we stayed we're about a mile and a half from the waterfront and the game's supposed to be at 3 p.m., uh, probably about an hour's drive from where we are. So we had the whole morning, uh, lunch, and the early afternoon before we had to head across there. And um, pretty early on, they'd announced that the game was moving forward to 1 p.m. Yeah. Um, there were storms coming in the afternoon and the evening, so it was like, okay, well, that's fine. Um, we did what you wanted to do. You wanted to go onto the beach. We did that. Um, anything from breakfast you wanted to talk about at all? Um, no. No, okay. You don't want to look like... There was like, a waffle machine. There was a waffle machine, yeah. And if I remember, you got a little greedy on that first day. You, you said you're going to have a whole waffle, and then you tried to grab two cupcakes as well. And uh, could eat, or not even eat a fraction of that, not surprisingly. And um, you did say you wanted to go swimming. I did tell you, this is not the same as when you went to... When we went to see the... Um, the MEAC tournament, that was in Virginia Beach, and that was the end of May. This was Ocean City at the beginning of April, so there's two months difference. I did tell you it was going to be a little cold, so um, how was the water? Uh, cold. <laughs> I got you screaming on video, because you're like, ah! You did kind of get used to it a little bit. Um, and then you were trying to acclimatize by going a little deeper, and then I think you fell in at one point, which is not the best way, but it does help you do that. Um, we took the glitch with us as well, which is a, a disc that somebody recommended us from Disc Golf that you can throw, and it's like a catching disc. So we played with that on the beach a little bit as well. Um, I thought we saw some dolphins, or was we walking Shark. on the beach? I don't know. Somebody mentioned later that sharks like to come out at that time, so I don't know if it was a shark or a dolphin, JJ. Um... We tried to, unfortunately, we just kind of come away from the water's edge because there was like some, uh, it was like, what was it, some uh, dinosaur bones? It was like, it wasn't real dinosaur bones, but it kind of a dinosaur skeleton on the, the edge of the beach near the border front. So we went up to, near the boardwalk, so we went to that. And then that's when somebody pointed out, and they were like, look, dolphins. And you ran back down again, and then um, they were there for a They disappeared. While. And then they, um, yeah, and they disappeared. Um, we were there early, so there wasn't much open on the boardwalk at that time. We did see fried ice cream, which uh, we wanted to get. Like but um, I asked him, uh, well, thankfully, I asked ahead of time. I asked how much was the fried ice cream, and um, they told us it was $10. So I, I was like, um, no, that sounds a little bit expensive. So for people who aren't familiar with fried ice cream, go ahead, JJ, tell them. Um, fried ice cream is a dessert made of a scoop of ice cream that is frozen hard, breaded, or coated in, in a batter, a quickly deep fried, creating a warm, crispy shell around the out uh, around the still cold ice cream. All right, stop there. So I don't think we realized what it was. I think we literally thought that they had like a scoop of ice cream and then they put it in the fryer, and we were like, "Huh, that doesn't really even make sense." So no, they coat it in batter first and then they try. So in that case, they I was freeze like, the ice cream. You'd obviously want to do that because like we were like it would just melt straight away. Like it's stone cold. So um, yeah. All right. 
and got a little history of frozen ice cream for us as well. There are conflicting stories about the dessert's origin. Some claim that it was first served during the 19, the 1893 Chicago World's Fair, where the ice cream sundae was also invented. Wow. Though in 1894, a Philadelphia company was giving credit for its invention, describing a small, soft, a small solid um, cake of ice cream. Is enveloped. Is enveloped in a thin sheet of pie crust, then dipped into a boiling lard or butter to cook outside to crisp. Uh, the served immediately. Served immediately. The ice cream was found to be as solidly frozen as it was. First prepared. Which you wouldn't expect if you put it in a deep fryer. You'd think it would probably melt, so yeah. A third claim beginning in the 1960s proposes that fried ice cream was invented by a Japanese tempura. Not sure who tempura is, but yeah, so they don't really know where it came from. I don't, I just said I don't know. (laughs) I literally just said that. So it might be as old as like 130 years, pretty much. This could be the 130th anniversary of it. Or it could be as recent as um, uh, 60 years ago in Japan. So they're not really sure. I guess it kind of disappeared. It obviously didn't catch on. Um, but yeah, we were curious to try. I think one place was actually $12, and I think we found one One was, was eight. Yeah, one was eight, but I was like, they probably don't give you very much. Anyway, I was looking it up just to find out, and it says you can make your own. So I don't know how good this is. don't know if anyone's tried it. Um, it's not really fried ice cream because you're not fried it, but it says it has the same taste. So what you need is cornflake cereal. Boom, got that. Butter, yep. Ground cinnamon, yep. Vanilla ice cream, we can do that. And uh, optional toppings, you can have chocolate sauce, caramel sauce, whipped cream and cherries. You'd probably want all of that knowing you. Except uh, for cherries. <laughs> you crush the cornflakes, melt the butter in a skillet over a medium heat, stir in the crushed cornflakes and cinnamon and increase the heat slightly. Cook mixture, stirring constantly until golden brown and fragrant. Uh, Colour will deepen and begin to smell lightly toasty and cornflakes should be crisp after about two minutes. Remove from the heat and pour mixture into a shallow dish and allow to cool. Remove ice cream from freezer. Scoop out ice cream and shape into a ball with clean hands. It did say on somewhere else you don't have to use your hands, and it doesn't have to be a ball, but as long as it's close. Um, Immediately drop the shaped ice cream ball into the cornflake mixture and roll to evenly coat, and then let set in freezer for 10 to 15 minutes, and then deserve with toppings. Jay, I think we could do that. Like, I'm not the best chef in the world, but I was like, that doesn't sound too difficult. Wait, how much do you increase it by? Increase what by? The temperature. Uh, I don't know, just a little bit. You can turn it up. If it's, our setting's got like eight, you could turn it up from three to five. I don't think it really matters. But breaking up cornflakes, you could do that. Melting butter, that's not difficult. Mixing, I want to break the stirring in, that's easy enough. Um, letting it to cool, I fine. Think, I think for out, breaking uh, the cornflakes, you should put it in a sandwich bag and get like a mallet, Oh, that's a good idea. And get like a mallet and crush it. That's a great idea for doing that. Um, I think the hardest part is probably getting the ice cream into a, a ball shape. Um, like, uh, you wouldn't want to use your hands because it won't be very cold and it won't be that clen- uh, clean either to do it. So, I'm not sure on that part, but I don't think it has to be a ball shape. W- once you eat it, what difference does it make? I would think it would be better if it was more like um, a sandwich bar type shape. So, I don't know. And then leave in the freezer for 10 to 15 minutes. So, I don't know. If you want to try it, I'm certainly prepared to do that. Um, I'm wondering, though, we don't have cornflakes, but we have some Frosties right now. I would have thought that'd be even... It's not like you don't like your sugar anyway. That would be even more sugar, so... So, um, uh, we might be able to do that. We might be able to do that. He, so, 
Heel Cat is down here. She is, yeah. She's not been down for a podcast in a long time, but yeah, she came down. Um, so we left a little early. Oh, so we went outside to the Ripley's Believe It or Not. You said you could see the shark moving. Cause it kind yeah. Of, it looks like it's outside. It's an animatronic. The, yeah, it's animatronic. Uh, we also stood next to, I don't know if it was the world's biggest tire, but it was from Akron, which is where... The uh, world's heaviest. Papa's from. It said three tons. So we got a picture next to that. Um, oh, there was like a... I thought it said 6,000 pounds. That's three tons. <laughs> a ton's 2,000 pounds. And, uh, but that's well remembered. That's, I did not remember it said that. I just saw the picture and it says three tons on it. That's how I knew. And wasn't there like um, a shark that was actually buried into the sand kind of near to that that you wanted to play with as well? Whale. Oh, whale. Okay. So we did that. Walked along the boardwalk for a little bit. And, um, it started time, raining. Time flew by. Time really flew by. Not very much. Not on the Thursday it didn't. Not on the Thursday it didn't. And uh, we didn't go into that one because we knew we had to get there. And, uh, oh, one thing we did talk about that you were very disappointed about is that the theme park, it looked like they were getting the rides going, um, but they didn't open until Saturday, which is when we left. The one on the pier, or near the pier, um, that one did, actually. That opened at 12, so we could go on that later. So we had to leave... We went to Umus. Now, the part that I didn't think about, Jay, and this is on me, if the game's going to be played against the University of Maryland Eastern Shore, you assume it's at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. Exactly. Now, it doesn't have to be, because remember Coppin State, did they play on the? Did they play at Coppin State University? No. No. Do they play there now? No, no. they play in Hanover. So that's on me for not checking carefully. Uh, but we went there. We got there about 30 minutes before, because I know you like to get there early. I know you like to say hi to the players. I do. And um, you like to do it. And that's fine. I'm quite happy doing that. The sign as we went in was very clear. Make sure you sign in at such and such a desk, or else you're going to be charged for trespassing. I was like, okay, how do you get to that place, though? Like, there was a map, but it wasn't very clear. So we just started driving around, because I was like, if the, if the baseball stadium's closed, then I don't think it really matters too much, because um, it's clear that you're there for the game. Anyway... We tried to, we saw the softball field, and we thought we saw the baseball field, but there was nobody on. So we're like, well, that can't be it, because the game starts in less than 30 minutes, and you know the players are warming up. Couldn't do it, so I was like, okay, we drove around for a while, went back to that initial sign. I was like, I need to find where you sign in, so we can ask them where the field is. So we went back, and they gave us a pass. And uh, it wasn't easy to park there. There was like no parking there mm -hmm. either. It was like you have to you have to go here, yeah. but there's no parking. Anyway, uh, we went in. Oh, that was the next thing. It's like you must wear a mask. I was like, I haven't carried a mask around for a long time. Um, I found one at the back of my car. You didn't have one, so you had to stand outside. And then she's like, Oh no, no, you don't need to do that anymore. That's from ages ago. I'm like, well, take the sticker down then if you don't need it. Um, she gave us a pass. She directed us. She's like, Do you remember the building that looked like this? And I'm like, No. And she said, Well, go past the bridge. And I was like, Oh, we saw the bridge. And the place that she told us to park was where we initially tried to park, which was where that baseball stadium, where the baseball field was that had nobody on it. So anyway, we parked. Thankfully, we got a two-day pass because we were going to go for two days. And then we looked, and there was nobody there. It said Hawk Field, and um, she didn't tell us that the game wasn't there. And I got my app out, and I looked because it was nearly one o'clock. I was like, this is ridiculous. Uh, we knew it was the right field because she told us where to go. And then I looked on my app and it said, like, bottom of the first. And I was like, oh, no, it wasn't bottom of the first. It was, like, the first out. And I was like, uh-oh. Top first one we're, out. Yeah, like, we're in the wrong place. So I put it out on Twitter. And um, and then I realized, I said, hey, are we in the wrong place or something? And they did respond to us. But actually, I didn't see it until later. Because the thing I noticed when I looked at it was, 
the location that it listed for the venue was not where we were. It did not say Hawkfield. Um, I can't remember what it did say. I'm trying to look. Say, oh, Henry S. Parker Athletics Complex. And I was like, well, that's not. Now, it was clear it wasn't that field, though, because it was like there was stuff on the field. The grass was ridiculously long. Mm. Um, and then, of course, where was it? It was directly where we'd come from earlier. So we were. it said it was going to take 25 minutes to get back. So we missed a lot. Now, for the future, JJ, and this is kind of cool. Um, Live Barn is live on all eight fields of the Henry S. Parker Athletics Complex. Live Barn provides online broadcasts of youth and amateur sports across the U.S. and Canada. Games are broadcast both live and via on-demand replay. Family and friends can watch online when they can't make it to the game. Coaches and players can replay game videos, share video highlights, or download full games for further review. Um, if you use a promo code, there's a 10% off. Um, if you want to send clips, you can send 30-second clips on social media. $20 a month. Now, that might sound like a little bit to begin with, but can you imagine how... Like, we had to pay for a hotel. Like, can you imagine if you can't physically make it? Like, imagine it had been seven hours away. Like, we wouldn't have been able to do that. If you can pay $20 to watch those games that ordinarily you would miss, I think that's pretty cool, actually. Mm -hmm. um, I looked to see if there was any other cool places around the country. Um, I did see that the Nationals... Uh, not Nationals, the Capitals Ice Hockey Arena is one of those as well. So it's not just baseball. You can actually watch different uh, sports as well. Um, but anyway, we didn't need to. Uh, we got the... Does they do football? Do they do football? If they do, I wasn't really paying attention. I was looking to see what other baseball things they had. Because I was wondering, like, next year, like, if we can't get to the game or something, would that be one that would be worth paying the $20 to so we could watch the games? So um, that was kind of why I was looking at it. Now, when we got there, it was... They were playing pretty quick. I want to say, JJ, wasn't it about the fourth inning or something yes. like that? So, um, yeah, they're going through pretty quickly. So, at that point... Now, I'm, I was being a little bit negative for this one. All the disaster that we'd had of trying to get there early and then arriving late and then not being able to find the place and blah, blah, blah. I was like, I got a terrible feeling, JJ, that this is not going to be a good game either. I just had a feeling it was going to be one of those days. So, when we got there, uh, UMass were winning 1-0 to zero in the fourth. So, what else have you got to share with us for this one? Mm -hmm. In in the fifth inning, Coppin got four, Yumas got one. So, it looks like I'm on your own then. Four the to two. The sixth and seventh, Yumas got two. Mm-hmm. Both innings. Uh-huh. And Coppin got one in the top of the seventh. So, final. And then nothing in the eighth and nothing in the ninth. So, final score, uh, six to five. Uh, UMass had 14 hits, Coppin had 8. Um, one error on Coppin. Uh, the attendance, 88. So another place that doesn't round up exactly. Uh, 2 hours and 34 on the game time. So yeah, we were about 30 minutes late. And it was a 2 hour, 30 minute game. So we didn't get to see all of it. Um, do you want to talk about the field a little bit? Because um, you kind of stood in different places. was turf. Uh-huh. Um, but the bags, I think. The, the outfield was just regular. Yeah, the infield was turf. Yeah, and the outfield was just and grass. All, and, a little bumpy. And around every base in the pitcher's mound, there was dirt. Yeah, yeah, so it was kind of a combination field. I was thinking more about the dugout layout, because you, you kind of stood behind the... Oh, yeah, there was holes in it. Yeah, there was holes in it. We saw big fans in there as we were mm -hmm. walking up as well. Oh, yeah, not fair. It was hot. <laughs> well, that's good. They need that to keep cool then. So yeah, you got to you could kind of you could kind of hear the players a little bit, so you could see what's going on. So you got to be close, so like that. I stood on the first base line and kind of watched the game. Uh, the part that we missed was in the first inning. Uh, B Cutler homeward to right field for an RBI. 
Um, the we saw um, Nate Bedette homer to left field, and I think that might be his first home run for Coffin. I think, and um, uh, Black homer to center field for two RBIs as well, and that was uh, that was that four run. They both were um, two RBIs. Oh, they did. Is there any other significant performances on the team? Mm -hmm. I know they said there was only eight hits. So. Brody Black kind of shout out, out to bit. center field sack RBI Angel Cologne squared. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and um, do you, I don't know if you remember, this was a one-run game. Do you remember how the game finished? No. Now, I don't know if it was, I don't have it written down, and I don't remember exactly, but what I remember, I think this is what I remember, JJ. I think that there was runners on first and second with one out, and then there was a hit to the outfield, or somewhere around the outfield. So the guy from second tried to score, and then got tagged out. So what it turned out, instead of being... So you could have got an easy single. It could have been bases loaded with one out. And instead, it was two outs and runners on, I want to say, first and second. Uh, or it might have been second and third. I think it's first and second, though. So, yeah, they tried to, um, they tried to force the issue. And unfortunately, it didn't work. It didn't win. It didn't work. And, um, yeah, they, they took the loss for this one. So, um kind of disappointing it just felt like one of those days and um they were right though on the weather forecast though they were right to play early oh we missed the, the pitching as well um liam was the pitcher for uh coppin uh 5.1 innings uh four earned runs um um only one walk so great control uh nico came in for 1.1 in and gave up two earned runs that was the thing that surprised me more than anything like um, when nico comes in like nobody gets hit so nobody gets runs and unfortunately, it was just one of those games. They did manage to get two runs off him. And um, that was kind of the changing point. Rashad came in for 1.1 innings and didn't give up any runs. But yeah, the whole um, the whole um, whole game, JJ, only one walk from the Coppin State pitchers. So they were really in control for this one. Um, but yeah, on the other side... Yeah, and, and they only hit one person as well. Hit by pitch. There was only one. So um, walk? Uh, well, that would be a dish. That's separate from walks. Oh. That's separate from walks. So, um, in the end, uh, Nico took the loss, and the win was uh, N. Gatton. Uh, that was his first win of the season, and Parker took the save as well. Um, but, yeah, that first guy who came in, four earned runs. So, they kind of got to him a little bit, but, yeah, they just couldn't keep it going. Um, they did say there were storms predicted, so we went out to the front while we could, because I know you wanted to go to the beach like twice per day, in the morning, in the evening. So it said it was going to storm around 7. Uh, we got home about, I think we went to the hotel, I think we got back about 5, and then we headed kind of straight out. Um, you got to play Space Invaders on the arcade, because you wanted to do stuff like that. Um, we walked along the, we did another walk along the, uh, the boardwalk. Um, got some pizza uh, from 7-Eleven. And uh, what do you do with your pizza crusts, JJ? I fill it for some pigeons. No, they weren't pigeons. I mean, some secret. Was on, we'd seen that they were kind of swarming around. So in the parking lot, I was like, get it, break it into small bits. And then we kind of drove to where they were. I opened the window and I was like, make sure you get them all thrown out. And uh, I threw it out. You really threw them. Hard. And then um, they kind of followed the car a little bit. And then as we finally went to park and got out of the car, they knew who you were. And they kept following you no, again. No, I threw some more out, too. Well, you did. But, yeah, they definitely knew who you were. And then they wouldn't leave us alone for a little bit. So we kind of had to hide. Oh, I know the reason why I wanted to feed them. There was that um, car that was parked. And there was um, 
a car seat in the back, and it was a young kid. Surprise. And um, the door was open, and uh, I thought the seagulls were going to get inside the car. Oh, yeah. But there was that woman who uh, they was having fries, and you could hear them going, and they were swarming around. But yeah, those seagulls are a little crazy. We probably exactly. didn't help the situation. Um, we did look outside the um, US Life Saving Station. It was obviously closed because it was uh, way too late, but um, there was some cool stuff there. They had some, uh, they had some uh, I'm not sure if they were replica or real. Um, but there was a, a, a certainly a shark. So this is the largest. I think it's Mako shark. Uh, it was a state record, but it said it's Mac disqualified. So go ahead, tell us about this one. That they largest found. Mako shark, a state record disqualified. <laughs> I just said Why that. is it disqualified? That's what I'm asking you. Read, obviously, because you don't remember. And this 857-pound female Mako shark was caught on the 5th of July, 1991. Mm -hmm. Bill Bennett and I think it's Timonium, Maryland. Um, was fishing aboard the J-O-B, the job site at Poorman's, Poor Man's Canyon. Not sure what that is exactly, but... The fish measures 11 feet, 3 inches in length, and has a girth of 5 feet, 7 inches. That's big. What's a girth? The distance around. Oh. Like, that's that's big. Exactly. <laughs> you could see it was big. We saw it from a long way off as we were walking in. I was like, whoa, I want to go see what that is. So I was cool. it, it was cool it, as a sign. It is the largest macro shark ever taken on rod. And okay, can you imagine? I don't understand. Rail. How did the rod not snap? Exactly. How do you get an 857-pound shark on a rod? Like, that's insane. To me. And real. And real. That's still crazy. In the state of Maryland, and possibly the largest ever taken anywhere on an artificial lure. Most large sharks are caught on bait. Bennett caught the shark on the surface using a trolled homemade lure, which he fashioned from a faucet or beer can. <laughs> I'm guessing it's because it's reflective, so um, it kind of attracts the fish because it's shiny. That, that's what I'm assuming. I don't know for sure. I'm not much of a fisherman, i got to say. Okay. A 45-minute flight. Flight. And fight ensued before the shark was brought to the side of the boat for the safety of all on board the macro the macro was shot at both sides a trophy fish cannot be mutilated in any way because the shark was shot it was disqualified by the fish and game commission it was so um yeah, that was why it was disqualified because they shot it but yeah an 800 pound shark for um flapping around well, then that is going to be dangerous um, well why don't they just um take why don't they just get a ton of people in there and try to lift it up uh because then you'd have an 800 pound shark in your boat and it'll be flapping around and it might be trying to bite you and stuff so. oh yeah and uh, that might not be such a good thing just let it die so there was other ones that we saw and um i think we kind of rode our luck a little bit like it was nearly eight o'clock and it still hadn't been storming like time goes so quickly when you're on the beach exactly and um anyway we went back we saw the hotel we stayed next to was near elm street so we got a picture uh with you on elm street thankfully we you went to Dumpster's dairy land you did thankfully you didn't have any nightmares um, we saw dumpsters on the boardwalk as well, and so by the time we got back, it still wasn't raining, so I was like, do you want some ice cream? And of course, obviously, you said yes. So, um, that's dumpsters for you. Tell us, JJ. Alright, since 1939, Dumpsters Dairyland has been a part of, of nostalgia of Ocean City. Miss Gladys Dumpsters um, started making her own homemade ice cream. On the boardwalk in Donald Timmons 
has carried on her tradition since 1981. Now, I think Timmons was the people that made the um, um, the fairground rides that was closed. I'm sure that was the same name. I might be wrong. I might be wrong. We have since expanded from her one shop on the boardwalk to now seven locations throughout Ocean City, but the quality and care we put into each batch of ice cream has always been our number one priority. And they did talk about the fact that the ice cream is made in store and um, so that it, seven, each day. Each seven day. locations in Ocean yeah, City. Yeah, we saw several of them. Insane. So it's kind of a lot. But yeah, I did actually ask, like, is this a Maryland tradition? And someone said Ocean City tradition. So yeah, for sure. So what did you get then? I got a... Not very memorable, I guess. I forgot what it's called. Ice cream cone. It was like Hawaiian Delight or something like that. It was Hawaiian like Delight, and it was in a cup, mm -hmm. and I had Reese's Pieces on top. Uh-huh. Oh, I thought you had a cone. Oh, no, you had a sundae, didn't you? Because you didn't want the cherry on top, because you already just said you didn't like that. Mm -hmm. And the other store that we saw multiple times on the front in that morning was Candy Kitchen. Um, and you were curious about how many... It was like, there's a lot. One of them, it was like two shops within like... a. I don't know. It felt but like then, a few feet. No, those um two shops that were literally next to each other. Okay, I wondered if that was just one big shop and it had two entrances. But no. Anyway. All right, in 1937, an ambitious young man named Sam Taustin opened a boardwalk candy shop selling homemade fudge and saltwater taffies of distinction. America was beginning to emerge from the Great Depression and folks had a taste for the sweeter things in life. We have 19 stores to serve you and your family located through the Delmarva beaches, including Rehoboth Beach, Bethany Beach, and Fenwick Island, uh, Delaware, and Ocean City, Maryland. When you and your family want on, went on the want to vacation at the beach and enjoy the sun, surf, and sand, visit us and we'll gladly satisfy your sweet tooth. So, JJ, how many candy kitchens do you think that there are then in Ocean City? Overall, there's 20 nationwide. There was a lot. We saw quite a few. Do you want to make a guess? Probably six. Thirteen? Oh. We counted more than six just walking around, so um, I was shocked though. Thirteen in Ocean City and only twenty in total. And um, yeah, it's uh, it was kind of crazy. Anyway, um, after you'd had your ice cream, we went back to the hotel. I guess candy is an Ocean City thing. Um, I guess it is. And then within 15 minutes, yeah, it was torrential rain. I filmed a little bit of it. And it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty bad. So next morning, um, we I was got up. Snake I.O. So next day, the game actually was supposed to be at one o'clock. So yes, the day before it was three and it got moved to one. This one was at one, but I we already saw the weather was not going to be good. So this was potentially going to be a problem. And basically, you kept asking me every fifteen minutes, like, is the game still on? Is the game still on? Is the game? So I finally put out a message, like, is the game still on? And we got a message pretty quickly. The game had been moved back to three o'clock. So the three went to one, and then the one went to three. So we went a little further. We went north Ocean City because I knew that the Isle of Wight Bay was there, and I used to live on the Isle of Wight in England, so I definitely wanted to uh, go see that. Uh, we did a walk around there. You played on the beach for a little bit. That beach was a lot quieter, though, with it being uh, about five miles further north. Uh -huh. And um, I'm trying to... Oh, you were trying to watch the tide come in, and then wherever it went to, you kind of put your feet on the edge, and then you waited for when the next wave came up. And if it was... If it didn't come in as far, you moved your feet to that. That was obviously going to end in disaster, and it did. <laughs> you got, oh, my feet are soaking. I was like, oh, shocker. <laughs> what a surprise. Um, but yeah, we didn't go, you didn't go swimming on that one. And um, that was when we returned. So we knew that we could see that the Lifeboat Museum was open at 
10. We knew Ripley's Believe It or Not was open at 10. So I was kind of okay that every, we had a little bit longer to go and do that stuff. And also we knew, now we knew where the stadium was, we had 20 minutes less driving time. So that actually worked out pretty good. So tell us about the Ocean City life-saving life station, JJ. Because we couldn't go. Can you remember why we, didn't, we couldn't go? It opened the next day. It, yeah, and the, pretty much everything opened the next day. Yeah, it opened on the Saturday during the off season. Although past spring break, I'm not sure why. So yeah, Saturday it opened at ten, but Fridays it did not open. Well, not at this time of year. So, all right, tell us a little bit about the Ocean City Life Saving Station then. All right, it is located on the boardwalk at the inlet. It was built in 1891 and was originally located on Caroline Street on the boardwalk. Till it was moved to its current location in 1977. All right, time out. But you saw how build, big that building was, right? Yeah. And they moved it? Like, that's kind of crazy. Like, I know they moved Cape Hatteras Life, um, um, Lighthouse, and that was kind of crazy as well. But yeah, that was really strange they managed to move something as big as that. They but... literally moved a skyscraper before. It's kind of crazy how they move things like that. But yeah, I'm not sure why they moved it, but hey. It currently serves as an Ocean City Life Saving Museum since 1978. Mm-hmm. Exhibits on storms, sea life, and life-saving in Ocean City. Other exhibits in, in the two-floor building include a boat room, bake, beach vacation artifacts, a commercial fishing information, the history of pioneering women on of Ocean City, over 200 samples of sand from around the Ocean From around the world. Around the World and Ocean City Surfing, mm-hmm. several tanks, house, local marine life such as American eel, horseshoe crabs, and seahorses. So, I didn't actually know they had exhibit. I didn't know they had, like, real animals in there as well. So, anyway, next time... They should have a shark. I, I don't think... I think they prefer a little bit more room to uh, swim around. So, um, I know you want to go back to Ocean City when it's a little bit warmer, so hopefully we can go to that. So, what it did mean, though, is, JJ, we have plenty of time now to go to Ripley's Believe It or Not. Um, there's 19 in the U.S., but the nearest one to us is actually Williamsburg, Virginia. Yeah, I know. I saw that in the back of the book. It did say that there's three aquariums, which I'm not quite sure. We, we have a national aquarium, so, but I didn't aquarium. know that they did that. Um, Ripley's Believe It or Not is an American franchise founded by Robert Ripley, which deals in bizarre events and items so strange and unusual that readers might question the claims. Originally a newspaper panel, the Believe It or Not featured pro, uh, feature proved popular and was later adapted into a wide variety of formats, including radio, television, comic books, a chain of museums, and a book series. Now, we've seen the books. We know about the museums because we always talk about it. Radio, I knew about. Television? I don't know. I know they have the, like, the Guinness Book of Records show, but I've never seen the Ripley's Believe It or Not show. I might have to look well, that I one mean, up. Well, I mean, I guess they show the stuff. And the comic books? That might be kind of interesting one to... So I might have to look up some of that stuff. Uh, Ripley first called his cartoon feature originally involving sports feats as champs and chumps. And it premiered on December 19th, 1918 in the New York Globe. Ripley began adding items unrelated to sports and in October 1919 he changed it to Believe It or Not. When the Globe folded in 1923, Ripley moved to the New York Evening Post, and in 1924, the panel began syndicated by Associated Newspapers, and Ripley hired Norbert Perlroth as his researcher. 
Pearl Ross spent the next 52 years of his life in the New York Public Library working 10 hours a day, 6 days a week, in order to find unusual facts for Ripley. So it sounds like Ripley's not doing much of the work, to be honest. It sounds like this other guy is doing more of the work. But yeah, once it got syndicated, Jay, I don't know if you know what that means, but that means it goes to newspapers basically all around America. And that's really when he became, uh, fa that's really when he became famous. Um, anything you want to talk about in the museum or any crazy facts mm. that you remember? I, I took some pictures of some stuff, so... Anything that's a fruit that you might not think is a fruit? Oh, yeah. Pepper is a fruit. Black pepper. Black, Black pepper. pepper is a fruit. I don't know how that works, but, yeah, that was a... So, we did ask if that counts as our one of one of five a day, but it does. I don't... <laughs> I think Mommy disagrees Wait, we have to you. do five? You're supposed to have five pieces of fruit or veg a day. Oh. So, um, we did ask if it counted, but I think you'd put it in does. a small amount. <laughs> and just, like, ketchup you counts as your tomato as well. Sure. Sure. Now, I took pictures of one thing because I thought it was interesting, and I'm glad I did because I'd actually forgotten a lot of this stuff. We saw a picture of Ripley being as part of a baseball team. Since mm -hmm. we're doing a baseball podcast, this seems relevant. Ripley dreamed of big league play ball player and actually started his art career drawing posters to advertise the games of his Santa Rosa, California team. During the war years, Ripley organized several charity baseball games and enlisted many big league stars like Babe Ruth to appear on his team. Ripley was a semi-pro baseball pitcher, but broke his arm in several places during his first big league game, prematurely ending his career on the diamond. So we talked about before, like people who got injured before they've even played a proper game, and uh, he falls into that category as well. So I guess we'll never find out how good he is. Um, the one that I want to take you to is um, in Ocean City, New Jersey. They hold a quiet festival every like November. It. Where attractions include, no, Ocean City, oh. uh, paper airplanes, kite flying, quiet animals such as rabbits and hamsters and sign language. Um, I think you would struggle with that one. I looked it up. It's not really a, it's not really a thing. It's a few adults do it, but it's not really a thing. Um, I did see that there's um, a, a Ripley's Believe It or Not in Blackpool. Uh, $10 for juniors, yeah, £10 for juniors, sorry, and £13 for adults. So we're going to be in Blackpool in a few months' time in England, so... I, I, I don't know, perhaps we'll go there then. Perhaps we'll go there, I don't know. Um, so anyway, around this time, we're starting to make plans. It's we're... in front of a roller coaster. Um, probably, that would make sense. The, pe the Pepsi Max big, ride, uh, big one that I talked about, that ride actually broke down last week. It got almost to the top, and then it broke, and then people had to climb down the steps to get out from it. Which they normally do as a once-a-month thing, but you have to pay for it. So, um, I'm sure they got their money back because they didn't get to go on the ride, but yeah, that ride actually broke down. Now, we still had a bit of time. Now, the reason we were only staying for two days is, JJ, we had a disc golf tournament on the Saturday, so we had to get back after the Friday game, and we're like, that's fine, that's 3 p.m. game, finishes about 6, and then by that time, traffic's quieter anyway, we can get home by about 9, that, 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 that'll work fine. So anyway, we head over there, uh, we stopped so you get some food on the way, um, we went to play disc golf in Berlin, I want to say. Berlin, yeah. Um, and we played, um, it was, it was just nine holes, but they had different layouts, so you did nine holes short and then nine holes uh, long. And um, we started to play that, and then unfortunately that's when we got the news that um, something had changed. So the thing that had changed was that the game time had been moved to seven o'clock. Wouldn't now, that end at like ten? It would, and then we wouldn't get home till 1, but we had to be at the tournament by 8, so it was like, that's not going to work for us. So we had made our apologies. It had started to rain a little bit while we were playing disc golf, and then it stopped, and it was fine again. And uh, we actually went to Salisbury Zoo, because we had some... We didn't want to leave at that point, because we would have got caught in DC traffic. So we had a look around Salisbury Zoo. What do you remember about Salisbury Zoo? It was free. 
It was. It was. Yeah, it was kind of cool. You could just walk in. Any animals you remember? Who did we take pictures for? Because we thought he would like that section. Oh yeah, we took um some pictures of some wallabies. Wallabies, yeah. yeah. Um, so who who would like that? Liam. We, we thought also it took was some it... pictures of some Australian birds. Yeah, there was a is it cuckoos? What were they called? Um, but yeah, there was a whole Australian section. There was a seat that looked like a boomerang as well. Yeah, I tried and then to throw after it. we thought we'd uh, finished all that, of course. Uh, we went around to the other side and it said, welcome to Australia. Because you could actually come in the zoo from the other side. So we didn't realise that. Um, we also saw some alpacas as well. There was a bald alpaca. eagle. Alpaca. Um, the wolf hung around for about five seconds. I was like, oh, look, it's there. And then it disappeared into its little hut. Um, there was supposed to be a bear, but I don't think the bear was there either. Nope. Um, I'm not making it sound very good. It was actually a cool zoo. I actually really liked it. We were there for about an hour or so. Um, everything was inside was, was cold. Everything inside was closed. Like The, the shop wasn't open on that day. Um, but no, I had fun walking around. I know there was one section, it's like, where, like, brace yourself, wear, uh, this is really loud in here, make sure you're wearing ear protection. I was like, ah, we'll risk it. There was nothing. <laughs> there was nothing at all. So I don't know what all that was about. And, um, yeah, we left Salisbury Zoo, we headed home. And, um, yeah, we got home about 7 o'clock, and then actually the game got postponed even further. It was seven thirty. Yeah, it was 7.30. So we, I'm glad we didn't start. We wouldn't have been able to make it. So go ahead. Tell us about game two, then. All right, game two. Um, in the first, UMass got one. In the second, UMass got two. Mm -hmm. In the third, Coffin got one. In the sixth, um, UMass got two. They're five one up, then, at this point, yeah. And that was it. They just had the same amount of hits of eight. That's it. Eight hits each. Uh, UMass actually had two errors as well. And uh, Coffin State just had one. one. And unfortunately, it didn't quite go that way. Um, any particular performances you noticed from uh, Coffin? I can see two that kind of stand, stand out to me. Oh, while you're looking, let me tell you who the pitches were. Uh, Marcus Herrand uh, opened for Coppin. Six innings, only three earned runs, uh, eight strikeouts. So he Five had a good performance. Runs. And then Timmy Rafino came in, uh, two innings and no earned runs. So it's not like it was a uh, bad pitching in this game at all. Um, and then for UMass, uh, N. Covington went the whole game, JJ. Nine innings, eight hits, no earned runs. There was only one run, but it was unearned. Nine strikeouts. Um, that was his second win of the season, so he obviously played really well. But what about the batting performances, then? Um, <laughs> that you were supposed to be looking at while I was reading those Brett out. Curran had three hits. He did, yeah. That was good. Um, Angel got two. Yep, he did. Now, on this one, and I'm noticing, and this is kind of relevant for later, JJ. So, obviously, we went at the Saturday game, so you're literally just going to be looking at the sheet. Um, I'm noticing Jordan Hamburg's playing in this game, but we started to notice when we looked next week that Jordan Hamburg's not playing anymore. So, when when we went to, I know we'll talk about it more when we do the Stonehill game, but we saw he was had crutches, and he had his, like, boot on as well. Yeah. So, he must have got injured at some point, so I'm not sure. What about the Saturday game? Obviously, we couldn't go to that one, because All we right. were at our disc golf tournament. Um, in the first, UMS got one. In the third, UMS got one. In the sixth, UMS got two. In the ninth, Coppin got four. So, they Coppin left it a little bit too late there. Uh, nothing for the first eight innings. That's always going to be a lot to ask. Uh, two errors in each one. And it does say Jordan played in this one, but as I'm looking at it, JJ, notice he only has three at-bats, where the people like um, Nate Nate Bidet, who's batting after him, had four at-bats, so I'm not sure if um, he came out. And Brody had five. 
Yeah, so I'm not sure. I don't know if Jordan came out a little earlier, or I'm not sure. So I don't know if this is the game he got injured or not, because until we went to Stonehill, this was the last time we saw them. So what, what did that mean? That meant that UMass swept Coppin State, unfortunately. So my prediction that it wasn't going to go so well, unfortunately, extended into this, uh, extended into the weekend as well. And Tyler Nichols was, uh, sorry, Tyler Nichol was pitching, I apologize. Five innings, uh, three earned runs, and uh, uh, John Neal came in. We mentioned the other day, we didn't mention it on air, we were like, we haven't seen John Neal pitch this year, because we saw him pitch at the, the MIAC, and he was really good. So we weren't sure, like, is he just injured, is he not playing, or what, whatever. So he came in for an inning, and no one runs, and uh, Rashad Ruff came in for the last two innings, and just gave up one run. So, um, yeah, um, the pitchers for UMass, uh, Nibblet took the win, fourth win of the season, six innings, five hits. Uh, but no earned runs. So if I'm right, JJ, I think between those last two games, um, I think that they went 15 innings, the starters, and didn't give up a single run. So they're obviously pitching really well. Uh, Gatton came in two, two, two innings, two earned runs. And Parker came in one inning, two earned runs. So they tried to close it out, but it didn't quite happen. Oh, attendance, 132. There's no way. Two hours and 20 minutes. On the Saturday game. You were there on Saturday, so you uh -huh. don't know. You don't know. But once again, they didn't put, just put 100, though. So they're obviously uh, working it out. Um, I don't think there was that many for the game that we went to. I don't know if it had it listed. Um, this game on the Friday, it doesn't actually have it listed how many people were there. Um, but the game we were there, it said 88. So I don't know. Perhaps they, perhaps they were being accurate about it. So, um, yeah, that was it. I, I meant to write down the Wednesday game because I know they played a midweek game. And um, shall we just leave this at, the, at this point right here? Um, unfortunately, they did lose the midweek game as well. So what started really positively, we were on a, a good streak. And then suddenly it's um, we lost the series against UMass. Um, we lost the game on Wednesday. Um, so was there a game against Wednesday? I can't remember. And I didn't write it down. So... Uh, I would say we were supposed was to record it this. Uh, it probably was if it was uh, just a single game. Um, I'm I just cannot remember who it was at all. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. But yeah, no, they lost that one. So unfortunately, we've got a four-game streak, uh, losing game streak. Um, next episode we're going to record is from this weekend, JJ, that we Stonehill. literally just came back to Stonehill, who currently at the start of this were bottom of the NEC and uh, only had one win. And uh, Coppin State has five wins in the NEC, so um, we couldn't get to the Friday game, obviously. Saturday we'll talk about when we do the review, but we did go to the Sunday game, and we'll see how they did for that. All right, outro music, I in think. The, oh, you can't. In the season, in the, um, and the one after that is going to be Central Connecticut. <laughs> it is. I already have the, I already have my notes ready for uh, Stonehill, so we'll be recording that later in a week. But you're right. Uh, Central Connecticut, who are top of the NEC. So they're going to go a season. They're going to play the lowest team at home, and then they're going to go away and play the best team in the conference. So there's going to be some uh, very different experiences going there. All right, how are you going to do your outro music then without your guitar?